Let's turn in our Bibles this afternoon to Romans. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. This afternoon we want to look at God's judgment of the religious man. Uh, We've been looking at the first two chapters of uh, Romans. Uh, We've spent some time, considerable time, discussing, talking about the wrath of God. Uh, We've come to understand the reasons why God is angry with sin. And we've come to understand that there are some groups of people against whom God has committed himself to act in wrath. In uh, chapter 1, we saw that God would judge the sinner, Mr. Heathenist. In chapter 2, last uh, time we looked at verses 1 through 16 and tells us that God's wrath is against the hypocrite or Mr. Moralist. Both of those uh, uh, groups have people have been uh, found guilty as charged. Now in our study this afternoon, we want to see how God's wrath is against... uh, the religious man, or Mr. Religionist. You know, people believe that being religious is a good thing. Uh, We live in a community with a lot of religious people. Um, We came from Indiana, from a town of uh, 7,000 people, had 30 churches with an Apony address. 30. Uh, That's a lot of churches for just that number of people. Uh, we have, what, what 2,700 people or so here in, in Spooner, and I don't know the exact number of churches, but we have a couple of handfuls of churches already. A lot of people are, are religious. Uh, we always used to say that people in Napanee, everybody was a Christian there. You go talk to them, and it's, oh yeah, I go to such and such church, you know, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian ever since I was a little kid, you know, and, and or I was born into a Christian family, my mom and dad are Christians, my grandparents are Christians, um, we're all Christians. Well, really, they're not all Christians, but they were all religious. And uh, yet, many of these people who are full of religion don't realize, or perhaps they do realize it's going to send them straight to hell. Uh, These verses will teach us that it's not what we do externally to save our souls, but it's what happens internally that determines where we'll we'll spend eternity. So we'll be looking at the last uh, several verses here of chapter 2. And while the Lord is speaking directly to the Jewish people and their boast in the law... I think he could just as well be speaking to to us, to Baptists. Uh, We need to know that hell will be just as filled with religious as it will be the uh, rank sinner. And I believe these verses tell us why. So we'll take some time here to look at God's judgment of the religious man. Notice, first of all, the spiritual confidence of the religious man. We begin there and we'll look at verses 17 through 20. And the Jews were probably in agreement with Paul concerning his statements about the judgment of the wicked. But now the microscope is turned on them 
and we are uh, uh, we are the same way. We we hear about certain people coming under judgment, and we get really self righteous, and we say, "Amen, boy, give it to them." And yet, we need to go back and look in the mirror and check ourselves and make sure that we're not living lives of deception ourselves. Nothing could be worse than dying and going to hell after believing that you're headed to heaven. So we need to be sure to look at ourselves. Notice, first of all, in verse 17, they boasted of their lineage. It says in verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law. These people could trace their religious ancestry all the, back, all the way back to Abraham. Somehow they felt that this lineage gave them an ironclad guarantee of salvation and nothing could be farther from the truth. And that's the same also in many uh, so-called churches today and what people call themselves Christians, but yet they're not really followers of Christ. They're follow- followers of a religion. Millions of people since the time of Christ have claimed to be Christian simply because they're children or their grandchildren of believers. And that, however, can save no one. Some people even believe they're Christians because they're born in so-called Christian nation. Again, they're living a lie if that is what they're basing their hope of salvation upon. One only becomes a Christian by placing his faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. So they boasted of their lineage. Secondly, they boasted of Uh, of their law. He says, Thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law. The Jews somehow felt the law and the rituals it described gave them a higher standing in the eyes of the Lord. They felt that just possessing the law, knowing it was enough to put them in a right relationship with the Lord. Paul would tell them before he was through that it is the knowledge of the law that holds them to a higher standard than those who do not have the law. And what they thought was a guarantee of salvation turned out just to be a guarantee of condemnation. And to put this on the level where we can, I think we can all understand it, since uh, I don't think we have any Jews in here this afternoon, but, uh, uh, and if you're not familiar with what goes on in the Jewish religion, imagine for a minute that a person is raised in the church. Many of you, many of us, I uh, uh, was raised in a Christian family. My parents had me in church from the time I was born and uh, all the way through my uh, youth and through my teenage years, I was in church. All of my life, I was around Christian things. I sang the Christian songs. I heard the Christian sermons. Uh, I read the Bible. I participated in the Christian rituals, so to speak. And if a person isn't careful, he begin to think, well, because all of these things are in my life, then I'm automatically a Christian. Again, nothing could be farther from the truth. What we know will be held against us if it is not believed and practiced in our lives. What we know will be held against us if it's not believed and practiced in our lives. So they boasted of their lineage, they boasted of their law, Thirdly, they boasted of their Lord. 
In verse 17 it says, And makest thy boast of, the God, of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Again, they claimed a special relationship with God by virtue of the law and of their religious activity, and they felt that being religious was enough to please the Lord. But again, they're wrong. Listen, I want to let you in on a little secret. You can't please God. No matter how good you get, you'll never be good enough to please the Father. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Matthew 5.20 says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Listen, you can memorize the Bible. You can do your very dead level best to refrain from committing every sin that is in this book, and you can still go to hell. If you miss the one and only thing that will save your soul. A salvation experience where faith is placed in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 1 John 5, 12 says there that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And the bottom line is that we can say anything we please, but until we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, we're still hell-bound sinners. And however, when the blood of Jesus is applied to a life, that life is instantly pleasing to the Lord and we're accepted by God on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. They boasted of their Lord. They boasted in God, but they still were religious. And then fourthly, they boasted of their leadership. Verse 19, it says, And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Now, because the Jew had a spiritual lineage, because they had the law, because they felt they were in a relationship with God, they felt superior to everyone else on the planet. They felt like it was their responsibility to show everyone else the way. And certainly the idea is a good idea, but the motive of the heart was wrong. These people did not even know who God was, and there was no way they could point anyone else to Him. All they could accomplish was to make disciples of their dead religion and cause even more souls to be condemned to hell. Now it's a situation that, if you remember Jesus addressing the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, the woes and the warnings there. That's what Jesus was warning them about. And it's the same brand of hypocrisy still being played out in our world today. 
A religious person will try to force everyone else to conform to his standard of living. And if they don't act like him, they don't dress like him, they don't talk like him, then they're lost. They're headed for hell. But listen, that's called legalism and it makes God sick. The person who tries to make everyone conform to his standards as a means of pleasing God probably doesn't know God to begin with. Our duty is not to point men to uh, to our haircut or to our manner of dress or to our method of worship. Our duty is to point men to, to the Savior. If we come to Jesus and he saves us, he'll make a, a, a us what he wants us to be. Now, before we go on in these verses, we need to understand that the Jews made great and lofty claims concerning their relationship to God. Yet none of these things were able to produce salvation in the Jew. There was one thing that saved them, one thing that saves now, and one thing that saves forever. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the spiritual confidence of the religious man. Secondly, we have the spiritual contamination of the religious man. They were all guilty of deception. Verse 21. Thou therefore which teacheth another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? As a religious men were telling everyone else how wrong they were, they were merely deceiving themselves because they were just as guilty as the person they were trying to convert. They were busy practicing all that all they were preaching against. There's a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. One of the criticisms often found about Christians is that they observe certain religious regulations and prohibitions and yet they're careless about their own basic ethical and moral standards. In other words, they don't practice what they preach. Note again these words here in verse 21. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Most people resent any implication that they're thieves or nobody likes to be called a liar. The Pharisees, the strictly orthodox leaders in Judaism during the apostolic age, became very upset with Jesus when he strongly denounced them and telling them that they were guilty of extorting money from helpless widows while making an outward show of goodness. He had said that they were like the person who carefully washes the outside of the cup and the platter and leaves the inside dirty. And they were outwardly uh, scrupulous, but they were corrupting themselves by their greed and their dishonest practices. Again, Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 25 says, Woe unto you, scribes and fairies, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and the plat- of the platter, and within they are full of extortion and excess. And that's still true today. You watch out for people who are always telling you how right they are and how everyone ought to be like them. Often they're guilty of the very things they despise in others. Sometimes the sin is not external, but the lie, it lies within the heart. Jesus made it plain, the sin in the heart is as evil as the sin of the flesh. A person can call themselves a Christian. They can attend church faithfully. They can contribute regularly. They can do many good works in the hope that it will earn them a place in heaven. But many have not really concerned themselves about doctrinal matters. 
They have no clear idea concerning the reason for Christ's death or the reality of His resurrection. They're religious, but they're not saved. If there's someone like that in our midst today, you need to come to Christ, realizing you're a sinner. Trust Him for salvation by faith in His Word. Now, even true believers sometimes need to be reminded that they're, uh, they can unwittingly break God's laws. Some people who avoid the worldly practices their uh, church condemns are a displeasure to the Lord because they have a tendency to be greedy or dishonest. And if you're saved and that describes you, then you need to confess your sin, get right with God. Many unsaved people are kept from Christ because of the inconsistencies they see in the lives of believers. And so we should never let it be said of us that we're religious but guilty of deception. They were guilty of deception. Secondly, they were guilty of desecration. Verse 22. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, thou sh- dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Because their practice did not match their profession, They were guilty of dishonoring the Lord. Little did they realize that when they broke the law, they claimed to love so dearly. They were guilty of treating the Lord shamefully and treating Him with contempt. And this can be seen in two related areas here in verse 22. First of all, religious but guilty of adultery. Now that's not a pleasant subject, by the way. But it's... Relevant to today, just as it was in Paul's day. Sins of moral impurity, while not uncommon, are always offensive. And most tragic is is the fact that even religious people become involved in these practices. Their immorality is usually accompanied by an attempt to soothe a guilty conscience, justify the deed in the sight of others, knowing that behind the pious facade of religion. It's a great deal of adultery that's being practiced. And Paul asked, Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? The devout religionists who disliked the Apostle Paul and his message may have resented that blunt question. Some of them undoubtedly felt uneasy because they were indeed committing the overt act. Others though they have abstained from the actual practice of sexual immorality, could not claim complete innocence in light of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard it, that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, who hath committed adultery already in his heart. And the scriptures plainly teach that sin begins in the heart. Proverbs 6.25 Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Many fail to realize the truth today that sin still dishonors the Lord. When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, Joseph responded by telling her that it would be a sin against God to lie with her. Later, when David was confessing his sin with Bathsheba, he stated that his sin had been against the Lord. You see that in Psalm 51 verse 4. We also not, uh, it's not that David admitted, uh, see that he admitted the wicked deed originated in his heart. 
Again, the confession in his, in Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sin dishonors the Lord, and when we sin, we're saying that He is a God to be despised and not honored, regardless of what our lips profess, our lives prove how we feel about the Lord. So they were religious about, but guilty of adultery. Secondly, they were religious but guilty of idolatry. Popular conception of idolatry is that it consists of a worship of a man-made image. And you might say tonight, well, I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have any statues that I bow down to. I don't have any any uh, thing made out of wood or gold or, or or brass that I bow down to. Even though many have never bowed down before such an image, they're still idolaters. Through the scriptures, idolatry is known as spiritual adultery. It's the trading of one's love and devotion of God for something or someone else. Ephesians 5.5 5 says, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Colossians 3.5 Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is equated with idolatry because God demands and deserves full submission and obedience. Whenever a person is divided in his loyalty, placing value upon earthly possessions, that can hinder our worship and our service for God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Yes, these idols may not be made of wood or stone or images from gold and silver, but they may be gods of pleasure and fame and material wealth. They were religious, but guilty of adultery and idolatry. They were guilty of deception and desecration. Thirdly, they were guilty of destruction. Verse 23, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blaspheme unto the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Because they lived the way they did, while claiming to be God's people, they were guilty of blasphemy. By their false profession, they destroyed the credibility of God. And any time... We live in a manner that is inconsistent with what we claim to be. We're guilty of blaspheming the name of the Lord. We've taken His name in vain. We've testified before the Lord that our God is not worthy of love and steadfast devotion. When we hide our light under a bushel and cease to be the salt of the world, we become no better than the religious Jew who boasted about their law, boasted about their relationship with God, but had no spiritual reality to back up their claims. As a result, the world is turned away from God and not to Him. It's happening today. 
How we need to search our hearts and our lives to see if we are spiritually contaminated this afternoon. The spiritual confidence of the religious man, the spiritual contamination, and thirdly, the spiritual condemnation of the religious man. First of all, he's condemned by the reality of his sins. Verse 25, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. The Jew felt that God would accept him because he had been circumcised. The rabbis even taught that Abraham sat outside the gate of hell and refused to allow any circumcised Jew to enter. And yet Paul tells them that their rest is in something a little deeper than that. He tells them that even if they are circumcised, when they refuse to keep the law in God's sight, it is as if they were just another heathen. As he will tell them in a minute here, salvation is deeper than the skin. Paul is telling them that what they do outwardly proves what they are inwardly. And so we look at their attitude, we think they're so foolish, and yet there are still multitudes that hold the same notions this evening. In Christian circles, it isn't circumcision, but maybe it's baptism, or communion, or church membership, or saved parents, Grandparents, we look at those things, there's a proof of salvation, but they're not. Just like the Jew, when there's a genuine salvation in the heart, there's going to be a holy living in the flesh. Matthew seven seventeen says, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Condemned by the reality of their sins. Secondly, condemned by the righteousness of the saint. Verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision be Uh, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Paul tells the Jews that when people are despised and looked on, how, uh, how they live lives, pleasing to the Lord, had their hearts right with God, that they were accepted by God instead of the Jew. In fact, God tells them that the righteousness of these people judge the religious man as a sinner. And there's a vast difference between the religious person who keeps the law and tries to live right to please God and the saved person who lives right because of a changed heart first type of person cannot succeed forever. When this life has ended, they will be unmasked for what they are and will suffer the flames of hell. And on the other hand, the person who wasn't very religious, but they had faith in Jesus Christ, will experience the glories of heaven. And so they are condemned by the righteousness of the saint. And then thirdly, 
They're condemned by the redemption of the Savior. Verse 29 says, But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, who prays, whose praise is not of men, but of God. This is his final argument against the religious man to inform him that true religion is not a matter of the hands, the feet, the eyes, the head, or the lips. It's a matter of the heart. God will only accept those who have placed their faith in nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must never be deceived into believing that we can somehow please the Lord or that we can be good enough to get to heaven on the basis of religious experiences. So I'm not sure where this message finds you this afternoon. Would you describe yourself as a religious person or would you describe yourself as a redeemed person? I like that better. There's a difference. The difference will will determine where you spend eternity. It's my prayer that every person who comes to this church will be moved to lose their religion. Find redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also a strong word in these verses about being what you claim to be. Are you what you claim to be this afternoon? If you're placing, if they were placing Christians on trial, if they were going to say, okay, you have to appear at such and such court on such and such a date, and we're going to try you for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you have to plead guilty to a life that dishonored the Lord? I trust that our relationship with the Lord indicates a true relationship, not just a religious experience. We're not just here to go through some motions of religious rituals, because, but we're here because we love the Lord and we want to honor Him and please Him by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven.